Planning an international trip and want to learn the language of your destination? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. That was cool. Hey. Hey, Beavis. What? Let's go. Let's go set something on fire. Shut up, Beavis. Oh, guys. Are we in for a doozy of an episode? Sorry, I'm a bit more on the la, 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 la side. And I think that this is, as we will as we will find out in this episode, I think this is where the lines of delineation of the fact that you guys are even just a couple years older than I am yes. really show. Because yes. I am a Daria 1000%. Oh, dude, girl. no. I, am, I think I'm the exact age that, caught both both ends of, of them yes yeah, yeah you bridge the gap i'm more on the beavis butthead side jackie's more on the darius side and natalie perfectly bridges the gap between the two which is great and uh so this is an exciting fucking episode because honestly too as much as i was more of a beavis and butthead dude dude shithead fuck face bro uh re- especially re-watching daria um i can't live in that world too long no, because it definitely makes, man, does it put me back into a certain place in my brain. But I really appreciate it a lot. I mean, it's great writing, great stories. I spent, man, I spent days worth of time in Daria Land this week, and it mm-hmm. was wonderful. It was the best part of, like, I did regress a little bit, but it was more <laughs> in the sense of, like, getting butterflies when Trent would flirt with Daria. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> episode when they were going to Alternapalooza. Every time, oh, my God, every time I watched that episode, I'm just like, oh, my God, I'm in love with you, Trent. So, I'm in love with you, Trent. So bad. <laughs> and, uh, but we are go- we've got a, quite a journey oh, to yeah. get on today. Last night, uh, Lexi and I threw on Beavis and Butthead Do America. I hadn't seen it since I saw it in the theater, but I saw it in the movie theater multiple times. I think I rented it as well when it came. I'm sure I did. Mm-hmm. I loved that movie so much. It is so good. And Still so funny. Yeah, it's so legitimately funny. Really solid production quality, I feel like. And also just captures a the grunge youth movement and makes fun of it so hard. It it is so nihilistic. It is so just... The 90s were apathetic. Yes. It was (laughs) rough. And and, and to be excited about anything was against the law back in the day. Unless it was destroying something someone held dear. That was the only thing you could be excited about. 
it, it is the defining character trait of Gen X. I will say you're mm-hmm. welcome because MTV Unplugged, you can get this app and it's got all of the OG Beavis and Butthead and Daria and pretty much anything, which now is like, uh oh, bye bye, rest of my mm-hmm. week because I'm probably going to watch some Undressed. I'm probably going to watch a lot of other reality shit that I shouldn't be watching. <laughs> uh, but as an adult now, I Henry was obsessed with Beavis and Butthead and it was always on. And I think that that was just the right time of my life where I was just like, shut it off <laughs> because I didn't want to watch it. And I wanted to watch probably, I don't know, Boy Meets World or some kind of bullshit. <laughs> There weren't any cute boys on Beavis and Butthead. Yeah, this is the thing, and I'm looking for pure sex. This is a horny twelve year old mm-hmm. me, and I and watching it now as an adult for the first time, really sitting and watching it. It's not that I didn't enjoy it, but it really did make me feel like it was like, I, God, I knew those dudes. Those are the ones I weirdly and I was in the druggy crowd, and I still stayed away from those guys. And, and oh, you yeah. and you bring up a good point, Natalie. That not only are there not cute boys on there, but everyone is like grotesquely stupid and like the principal made me laugh so hard last night watching him again because I forgot that he literally just goes like, oh, like he's just like like. Everyone he's is barely human. A nervous breakdown, twenty four seven. Yeah, he's just oh, oh boys, you uh, like he's just like can't even be a person in the world. He's just a disaster. That's Everyone what Beavis and Butthead does to adults. Yeah, um, I don't know if it's because I loved it so much as a kid, but rewatching these episodes, I spent half of them laughing uncontrollably. I mm-hmm. thought it was still so funny, but I was laughing like. I, I revert to like a butthead laugh while I'm watching it. Right? Yeah. <laughs> but that was, this is what I said to Lexi last night, or at least did I say it? I, I definitely thought it was, this was like one of the first things that we could, that you could essentially make a boomer shake their head at. You know Absolutely. what I mean? Your boomer parent, right? It was the first thing that your parent comes in the room, they look at what you're watching and you're loving the shit out of it and they just like, are completely no. baffled by it and against it. And that it just helped us rebel, Beavis mm-hmm. and Butthead did. Even weirdly enough, Daria did, because I oh, remember yeah. my mom coming in and be like, how do you listen to that voice? That <laughs> voice goes right through my, oh, my fucking God, but, ears. And I will, we gotta talk about the voices, because I think they're fucking incredible. They are spot on, and I think that uh, I think that we're gonna gush as we go today, mm-hmm. y'all, because we are starting from not only the beginning, but the beginning of the beginning, because we're going to talk about Mike Judge First, as we rocket ship into this very interesting way of coming about a spinoff of the uh, of something that even the creators like this is going to be the Frasier. Mm-hmm. And weirdly enough, it is. Yeah. Uh, also, by the way, uh, we are sort of putting out a brother sister podcast this week with Wizard and the Bruiser that we, and Wizard and the Bruiser is covering King of the Hill. So if you, this is your Mike Judge. But dad. Week, I love King of the Hill. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's the thing. That's why I don't want anyone to think that I'm against Mike Judge whatsoever just because I never got into Beavis and Butthead. Because I, why do you hate Mike Judge so much? I love Mike, <laughs> especially doing this research about him, which I knew he was a nerd, but I didn't realize how much of a nerd I, he actually truly, is. I, you, I'm excited to hear about his 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 young life, and I, I was trying to find photos of him as young as I could go, and he never has had a full head of hair. <laughs> uh, I can I can see that maybe that's where receded. some of his uh, weird nerdy anger comes from. Yeah, his hairline receded probably in I don't know late teens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, 
Mike Judge uh, spent his younger years in Albuquerque, New Mexico, where he spent some time working on a chicken farm. I didn't get a ton on his uh, younger life. Well, he was a nerd, just in case you were wondering. He actually had, he says, I actually had a ham radio license and would be in my garage with a dipole antenna on the roof and a Heathkit transceiver doing Morse code and talking to people all around the country. People throw the term nerd around loosely nowadays. I was a major nerd for my time because when he was really young, he grew up, he was born in Ecuador. He speaks fluent Spanish because his dad moved them around a lot. I believe that he's in the Navy. And so he grew up in all these different places. So if you're going to be this kind of a nerd, imagine being picked up and put in to different places throughout your entire life. And so you just go into yourself and you're like, that's fine. I'm going to make whatever I'm going to make. And this is also when he learns he was like an expert trombone player. <laughs> he learned to play the, the bass. least sexy instrument. He's weirdly, just kidding, guys. Trombone players. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I think that he's like an idiot savant. Uh, yeah, probably. I would say so. And uh, yeah, definitely. I would say the same, especially the, the way he comes off in interviews is like both brilliant and also so simple. And so he's great. Relaxed. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, so he, he ends up graduating with a bachelor of science in physics because he's a nerd from the wow. University of California, San Diego in 1985. And after that, he works very briefly at an engineering firm, but quickly became bored in the field of science. However, he was building planes. He was like wow. engineering planes, doing all that. Like He was in, like it makes sense of where office space comes from. Well, exactly, because one person that he noticed there was this guy in the logistics department that no one would talk to. So Judge decided one day he'd just say hi to him, maybe even by accident, because sometimes you just like accidentally say hi to people because it's just the monotonous, awful, everyday work life. I'm not digging up old memories of how shitty it was to work in an office, but this one guy, he says (laughs) hi to. The guy responds with a rant that started with, they move my desk one more time. I'm quitting. And Judge just thought, and, and, and then just goes off on uh, from there. Just like, all he said was hello to the guy. And the guy just goes on a tirade about how pissed off he is and everybody in the office and stuff. And Judge just thought, in his words, he's not going anywhere. You could move his desk a hundred times. He's not going to quit. And, <laughs> and I'm sure that he was right about he's that. He's still there to this day. <laughs> and so, of course, that was the inspiration for Milton, who we get later in office space. But before that... He moves to Silicon Valley in 1987 to join Parallax Graphics, which was a startup video card company based in Santa Clara. Of course, he ends up creating Silicon Valley uh, on HBO later. Well, I didn't realize he lived there before. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, cool. dude. And he becomes very quickly alienated by the culture at the office, referring to his coworkers as being like, uh, as quote, being like Stepford Wives, which is a book and movie about an idyllic co- Connecticut neighborhood run by happy husbands and their robot wives. Uh, Judge said, for so long, I was wondering how I was going to make a living that wasn't going to make me miserable. That was my main concern in life. And so he quits in less than three months to become a bass player in a touring blues band, which is pretty groovy. But also, he goes to an animation festival and realize, remembers that he really loved cartooning. He would draw pictures of teachers in high school and things like that to make fun of them. He really dabbles. He dabbles mm-hmm. in many That's the things. thing. I don't mean to mm-hmm. call him an idiot savant, but it's like, it's crazy. It seems like everything he touches, he can teach himself how to do to the T. I mean, he never went to film school. He never he never learned how to write screenplays. He never did. He just kind of or how to draw cartoons. all of this. Yeah. And just because he liked to dick around in drawing with animation. And in fact, when you were talking about this, Holden, before of how he just 
so easily gives interviews and can connect to so many different people. Yeah. But then yet, I just read this quote of him that someone had asked him, like, do, did your foundation in science, do you think it serves as a function for your creative life? And what he says is, I don't think you need to know physics to do animation. But there's a thing called squash and stretch that you do in animation because the physics don't look right. In a weird way, there's some physics of motion in animation. In mm -hmm. thermodynamics, you learn probability and statistics. And so sometimes when the studios try to pull one over on me about the statistics of a test screening, etc., ah. I can just lecture them on how it really is and how unscientific they're being. That's so it's like, amazing. So he has all of this foundation that, so, that no matter what situation he could be in, he'd be like, actually... And um, just, actually, <laughs> which is fucking awesome. That's amazing. Uh, and uh, so going back to the animation festival, while there, he talks to an artist who gives him essentially the rundown for him, again, to teach himself how to animate. And um, and so Judge ends up spending just $200 on a Bolex camera, a lightboard, ink, and paper. And the result is his 90-second short film, Milton's Office Space, which was purchased by Comedy Central for $2,000 after gaining attention at... I'm Probably the same animation festival, maybe it was a different one, but located in Dallas. Which it is in Dallas, yes. Right, which which convinced Judge that he could do animation full time. He quits all his everything and just puts all of his focus into animation. What which I love leads too, he makes that uh, after buying the two hundred dollar camera, he didn't even know how to load the film, so he's tinkering with it. He makes the 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 short film that he made, and then he says, "The clouds parted. Even if I had a job I don't like, this is something I can do. Mm. Nothing can stop me now." So in his brain, it was like, "Okay, this is like a side thing I can do." Then, right. while he's touring, playing bass for a blue. <laughs> Blues band. He's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, we didn't even talk about the part where he got good enough at bass to perform at a blues band. Yeah, when was this? Yes, to travel, be a traveling <laughs> bass player. <laughs> That's like all so hard to do. Uh, Very so to, difficult to do. <laughs> so, so Judge ends up making another animation short called Frog Baseball. Oh, no, man. The very first appearance of Beavis and Butthead in which they do things to a grasshopper and a frog that Marcus described from his childhood growing up in Texas. Yes. Last podcast of Left's Marcus, very similar. <laughs> uh, very similar to call, what is he, he describes. Is he more of a Beavis or a Butthead? Marcus. I think Marcus more of a Beavis. Yes. More, definitely more of a Beavis. Yeah, um, I would agree with sure. that, yeah. He's uh, man in the ship for sure. <laughs> Uh, MTV's animation showcase, Liquid Television, purchases the short, and the network executives like it so much, they sign Judge to produce 65 episodes. That's insane. It, from one. From one thing, especially, they take it. Especially for MTV, who are notorious for not paying for anything ever. So this is the thing, though. The, I think the reason why it was so much and so quickly was that MTV, they're just playing music videos, right? But the problem is, you can't, get Nielsen ratings unless you have actual like regular programming then you can get a rating and then you can get advertising and also the reason Weird. why they did this is MTV purchased the characters of Beavis and Butthead uh -huh. it wasn't just that they gave him a deal they said we are buying you and this and so they are putting all of their effort into making their money worth right, it too. so the, whenever the merchandising comes up and all that MTV is taking all of all that of which it. is again why MTV loves working with very young people yes because mm -hmm. they can um, basically rob them also it's, yeah. what's interesting is that in this time and we will see this uh, throughout this episode this is the wild west of programming 
thing. Yes. They are trying to find people that don't know what they're doing to kind of groom them and essentially like suck the as many good ideas from them as they can to turn it into a profit, which I almost kind of wish that these like I w- kind of wish it was still the Wild West yes. of programming because you can just have a nobody walk in and be like, this is a great idea, well, think, and they'll just buy it. I think that's sort of what YouTube has done in, in those sort of outlets. And, where- and Netflix even, and streaming yeah. services, because again, now streaming services are back almost to square one where it's like, we just need a shitload of content. Yes. Like, we just need to have the most content to consume out of all of and the other streaming services. Yeah. They, and they, they take do. up the mantle of paying people poorly, but then putting yes. out a bunch of shows. Right. Yeah. Shows, stand up you know, specials, like yeah. all that stuff. So, MTV Vice President Abby Turkle said this They're perfect for MTV, referring to Beavis and Butthead. They like and respond to things that our audience finds humorous. Maybe our audience can see a little bit of themselves in Beavis and Butthead. Very, no very way. interesting what you're saying. <laughs> very interesting what you're saying, Vice President of MTV, <laughs> about your viewers. Uh, I'm not going to take offense to it, but I feel no. like maybe he some meant people it, He would. meant offense, kind of, psychologically. So where did Judge come up with the voices and characterizations of his Beavis and his Butthead? Judge... <laughs> had this to say. When I was in college, a 12-year-old kid next next door called himself Iron Butt. I just, they all I, call- another, this story makes me think, it's like, <laughs> man, if I knew somebody at that age called that called themselves Iron Butt, I'd be hitting them in their ass every second I could. <laughs> He's asking for it. They all called him Iron Butt because supposedly you could kick him in the butt as hard as he wanted and it wouldn't hurt him. He was just a maniac and his parents weren't around. His friend actually, we called Butthead, even though that wasn't his name. Then there was a kid in the neighborhood about three blocks away. His name was Bobby Beavis. However, uh, he didn't really get the characterization from Bobby Beavis, just the name. He got the voices from other sources. Judge said about Beavis's voice that it came from this guy in my calculus class that would sit in the front and always bite his lip and turn back and go, huh, huh. That to no, me no, just turned butthead. into his laugh. Oh, oh, that's butthead. No, it goes, <laughs> and butthead for that voice. It was I had braces in high school, and they just scrape my your cheek, and you ended up talking like butthead. That's how I got the voice for butthead. Just a guy talking with a mouthful of wires. So Beavis and Butthead live in the fictional town of Highland, which looks to be somewhere in Texas or New Mexico. Judge said, I grew up mostly in Albuquerque and I was in Dallas when I created it. So I was thinking somewhere in between those, like just one of those, like a little town like Lubbock. Lubbock. Shout out to Lubbock, Marcus's hometown. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> oh, my God. Maybe he was writing about Marcus. Wow. Not even, not even his hometown. Just outside of, of uh, is where Marcus lived, even further away from humanity. Yeah, he didn't live in the big city of Lubbock, okay? <laughs> or, you know, Portales, New Mexico. Uh, so that's where they got the area. And then, of course, the format of the show, so brilliant and so sad that because of licensing issues, my favorite part of the show, you can't really watch, right? We will get into that I a know, thousand man, percent with Daria because I didn't realize yeah. why it didn't have the same punch. It's like, oh, because they can't use any of the music. Yep. Which is, that's ridiculous. You weren't, it was on MTV. I just don't, I don't understand the government and what they do with the music. I don't get it. 
<laughs> now at this point in it time, it's the government's fault. It's the government's fault. <laughs> so Mike judges is drawing Beavis and Butthead too, and he admits openly that he is not a trained artist. Hence the schoolboy quality of a shaky line drawings of Beavis and Butthead. But what he says is that when he was seven. His mother took him to a cartoon drawing class at the local YMCA, but after just two lessons, she canceled the whole idea on the way home because she had spotted the cartoon teacher hitchhiking by the side of the road and decided there was no money to be made in being an animator. He also said that he didn't understand the signs back then, but um, he thinks that his teacher was probably a junkie, (laughs) knowing what that looks like now. See, all the things you learn... From in time. From YMCA. Yeah, man. <laughs> I love it. my why. Everyone at the Y. I oh, miss yeah. the Y. It teaches you about real life. Yeah, man. Like drawing animation, apparently. And I'm sure <laughs> they did it in an empty pool of some sort. <laughs> but by golly, they were doing it. They were. It seems that his parents are very supportive, though, through mm. all of this. They're kind of just, I mean, I imagine he stowed some money away in having like big boy jobs to be able to do all these kinds of things. Well, he was gonna just, what, what did he say he was gonna do? He figured, he mapped it out, he did the math on how to like essentially make enough investments with the money that he had to just retire super early and like that was what he was originally planning to do. When do I get to be an adult? When can someone come in and do that with my life? Right, he just like did the calculations like if I invest this much and I have this much then I will be able to retire like very soon. Again, the uh, benefits of being a nerd and knowing science. Yes. 100%. And this animation thing, though, just kind of just he just took it and ran with it like out of no like it was a surprise to him. Like he was totally planning on just like whatever for the rest of his life, which is so funny to me. Sick, Um, man. But yeah, going back to the format, the thing that I loved the most about the show was when they would, of course, riff on music videos, kind of like Mystery Science Theater 3000. And I lamented that because they because of the licensing, they can't do that. Uh, They can't put that out anymore, which is so sad. And also, though, it was amazing because if they reacted positively to a music video, they the bands would receive like crazy. I mean, first of all, I was tur- I, I probably saw a Tool music video for the first time. White Zombie, absolutely, like all these bands. I think I was probably about eleven or so when I started seeing this show, and I was already be- sort of becoming a little degenerate. Mm-hmm. So I was I was drawn to it, but they definitely introduced me to so much music. It it really was. It was like a it was like a child's version of like being introduced to metal, right? And and that was this, that was that way for a lot of people. So much so that if they rocked out and said that the song ruled, bands would actually get a boost. Uh, the one of the biggest examples is White Zombie had only sold seventy five thousand copies of their album Lost Exorcisto Devil Music Volume One, which we talked about on our Rob Zombie episode yes. mm-hmm. in nineteen ninety three. Until the video for Welcome to Planet Motherfucker played on Beavis and Butthead, after which their sales quadrupled and the album ended up on the Billboard Top 40 chart. Hell yeah. But then there's the other side of that mm-hmm. coin, like 80s hair band Winger, that can trace <laughs> their massive mid-90s downfall in popularity to being mocked relentlessly on Beavis and Butthead <laughs> and subsequent Mike Judge projects. So they also worked out there doing harm as well. It's But like in amazing. a fun way. It's amazing. And yeah, Aerosmith also... Uh, Aerosmith was referred to as pre- uh, quote pretty cool despite being old um, and uh, Aerosmith's uh, judge said Aerosmith's management put pressure on MTV to take it out of there and they would even what? MTV would hit him up and be like please don't shit on this band we have a really good relationship with this band <laughs> <laughs> please I, I'll do this Mike Judge I will say in, in, in 
doing all this research. He's not one that you tell something, tell him not to do something. Right. Um, he seems to be a bit of a, a contrarian of sorts, but it's also because he's so smart that he knows ways around everything in very specific ways. Well, that I mean, you got to respect that, man. Especially with a lot of the... Um Sensors, especially with the sensors yes. who, when they were trying to, you know, get every, they were trying to say a lot of different swears and cusses and, and, you know, different slangs that they wouldn't, that censors wouldn't approve of. So they had to come up with all these new words. That's why bung, bunghole <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and all that stuff, which you is mean so funny. You mean he got funny. creative with it. Now, Not there's much. one thing that is glaringly <laughs> apparent is that at this point in time, people are starting to really realize that the objectification of women was so flagrant in the, in the show that the press started calling the network out for it. It really came down to there's not one woman represented in a way that is positive <laughs> on the show. <laughs> so this is like the beginning of especially the other controversies that he will see rise. So you were just talking about making up curse words to get around things. But there's also other things that they definitely came up with to get around the idea of they couldn't say the word fire anymore and yes. why couldn't they say the word fire anymore because in not in october it's actually really tragic in it's october, very upsetting in october of 1993 six months after beavis and bud had started airing a five-year-old boy in ohio set his bed on fire with a lighter which quickly spread throughout the mobile home in which he lived he and his mother made it out alive, but his two-year-old sister sadly did not, and the blame was very quickly placed on Beavis and Butthead by both the family and local authorities, as the character Beavis was really into setting things on fire and would shout, fire, 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 to the point of it being a bit of a catchphrase. Can I do, I, I must say, the accusation was later disproved, because when it emerged that the mobile home in question did not have a cable hookup, meaning <laughs> the child couldn't possibly have seen the show, turning attention instead towards the mother who had left them unattended while she was of out. Course. Of course, even if he had seen the show. He's five years old. Yes. Yeah. Why yeah, is he watching me? No, that's yeah. a, the, 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 yeah, they weren't. The sentiment yeah. from Mike Judge was, to me, it's like going out and buying Penthouse and leaving it on the coffee table and then complaining to the publisher that your kid was seeing naked pictures. Right. I always thought the show should go on late, so I was happy when it did because it was getting overexposed. So at this point, after this, they had to start playing the show after 10.30 p.m. Which actually made it cooler as a yes, kid. Totally. It was this cool late night thing now. Now it's even more rebellious. It's you stay up late to watch it after your parents have gone to bed and you watch it in the dark. You totally. know what I mean? And you're just like, ooh, ooh. You know what I mean? <laughs> no, what? What are you doing? <laughs> you masturbating to? Well, I guess no, there's a lot of big titty girls on Beavis and Butthead. Oh, uh, yeah, but and the videos and stuff. She's it, uh, my cherry pie. <laughs> this is obviously a long-standing... Like a grown man. Oh, no. <laughs> sweet uh -oh. cherry pie. No, we started You can't it. say sweet cherry pie and me not sing it. That music video, bro, that would have not <laughs> dingles donglin'. Hot I'm for teacher, say, too. If, if your vagine smells like cherry pie, you probably need to go to the doctor. Yeah, man, get the <laughs> um, flower sludge drained out. <laughs> this is, like, of course, a long-standing tradition with um, music and entertainment being blamed for violent acts, but uh, Beavis and Butthead's response to that, I don't know if you guys saw, they had an episode called um, Ben Franklin, I think it's just called, yes. where they go out and they imitate, they want to go see if they can get mm -hmm. a key on a kite to be electrified, and they're sort of making a statement about you can't really blame 
television for people doing stupid yeah. things, or they can't watch a Ben Franklin documentary. Anymore. Yeah, they bl- yeah they blame Ben Franklin for getting electrified in a news also, they, interview. Yeah, yeah, and they change all of the, every time. And then Beavis says fire, fire. They have to go back and change it. So in de- very different ways, they would change it around. Like uh, they change it to fryer, fryer in a Burger World scene um, to add. I guess there's a fire inside of the restaurant. But what I love is that MTV banned any reference to fire on the show. But then Mike Judge joked, they can't fire me because of it because they're not allowed to use that word. (laughs) (laughs) Planning an international trip and want to learn the language of your destination? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. Uh, and then there was uh, even more controversy after that. Another incident involving uh, a death resulting from a bowling ball being dropped from an overpass, which later, oh, no shit, turned out to be that the offender did not actually watch the show. That put more pressure uh, because the death was blamed on Beavis and Butthead. That put more pressure on the show by this watchdog group that came out. So then MTV added a disclaimer at that point that read, Beavis and Butthead are not real. This, like, would it put, uh, this was text before the episode. Beavis and Butthead are not real. They are stupid cartoon people completely made up by this Texas guy whom we hardly even know. (laughs) Beavis and Butthead are dumb, crude, thoughtless, ugly, sexist, self-destructive fools. But for some reason, the little wiener heads make us laugh. Uh, This this was later changed to Beavis and Butthead are not role models. They're not even human. They're cartoons. Some of the things they do would cause a person to get hurt, expelled, arrested, possibly deported. But uh, to put it another way, don't try this at home. What about America's Funniest Home Videos? I feel like I saw way more actual people getting hurt. It's all about the packaging. It's because Bob Saget presented it as this wholesome thing and Beavis and Butthead were not t- quote unquote you know so they did the same thing with Jackass too they had almost the same yes. disclaimer gotta, at the beginning. oh we gotta do Jackass at oh, some yeah. point um, sure. uh, but also uh, uh, anything else about the television show before we move on to the filmic experience of Beavis and Butthead I do I would like to add um, <laughs> alongside the, the complaints about the violence on the show there was a behind the scenes documentary I watched about the making of it. And at one point during that time period, they got a big pack of letters from one middle school that it was very apparent that somebody at the middle school sort of coerced the kids or like kind of influenced the kids to write these letters to the creators of Beavis and Butthead that all those these kids, these sixth graders wrote these letters to them that were like, uh, dear the creators of Beavis and Butthead, I would like your stupid show to be taken off the air. It makes me want to puke. All of the violence and all of the the crudeness is not okay. And if you don't, I'm going to get very angry. And multiple of the letters at the end said, if you don't 
I have guns, even though I'm only in sixth grade. So Jesus. The, the school kid, this kid, all the kids in the school who were like rallying against the violence then threatened the lives <laughs> of <laughs> the creators, um, <laughs> which is the ultimate irony. And we're still living yeah. inside this now. And um, now I'm depressed. That's so funny. No, no, no. We're no, still yeah. having fun. Never <laughs> she's bad, terrible. Oh, yeah, so happy again. Let's talk about I one of my favorite animated films actually. Now that I've rewatched it again, I can't believe I didn't I didn't even think about this movie for so long, but I was obsessed with it when it came out. I watched it multiple times in the movie theater. I mean, I was also at the perfect age to watch a movie multiple times in the movie theater because you had nothing else to do because mm-hmm. I too. couldn't buy beer yet. But uh, yeah, it, it it really has great pacing though. It's so funny. It makes so many great comments. It's such a great satire on America and American culture, especially at that time. Development began on Beavis and Butthead Do America in 1993, which came about due to producer David Geffen's enthusiasm to get a movie made via Warner Brothers alongside MTV and Mike Judge. Uh, Actually, David Geffen wanted to make an album as well, which did result in, and I remember listening to this album, it's really, it was really funny at the time. Again, something you could take to school, put it on your Walkman or Discman, share it with people and giggle in the corner and be rebellious at school. The Beavis and Butthead experience was a compilation of music with Beavis and Butthead doing commentary over it, as well as skits in between songs featuring bands like Nirvana, Anthrax, Megadeth, Run DMC, White is this, Zombie, Primus. Is this the share, share video? Was yes. that also on this? <laughs> that is the one where, with Cher, they insult Sonny Bono, who did react kind of poorly to it. They, <laughs> they sang... Um, I got it, you, babe. I got you, babe. And they like trash Sonny Bono, and Cher like, joins in on it, and it's so funny. And Sonny was like, I'm sad she stooped to that humor, or whatever. <laughs> It was also when Cher had de- like recently debuted that new look of hers that looked sort of like leather, all leather uh-huh. plaid. Oh yeah, and yeah, it's fun. That the song's very fun because um, during uh-huh. the chorus they're going like, dun 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 dun. dun. <laughs> I got you, baby. Now this is a so when they came to Mike Judge originally, MTV offered millions of dollars to originally turn the kings of cartoon crassness into movie stars, but what they really wanted was to humanize Beavis and Butthead, just like the Flintstones and 101 Dalmatians did this at the time. This would have been so bad. It would have been so bad. They were looking at David Spade and Adam Sandler to play the infamous two. <laughs> they were also uh, looking wow. at Mike Myers and Dana Carvey to play the two, but then Mike Judge was so weirded out by the idea that he's like, but then it's just going to be Wayne's World. Yeah, definitely. But that, like, there's no point. Like, yeah, why would it, we do that? <laughs> there, that? That doesn't make any sense. Although Mike Judd said, Johnny Depp had said to me he really wanted to play Beavis. <laughs> he was doing that Don Juan DeMarco movie with Marlon Brando. And uh-huh. he said Marlon Brando used to imitate Butthead and he would oh, do Beavis. My God. And now that was one that he said, I would definitely have a... Uh, Entertain that if that was on the table. Wow. Can you imagine Johnny Depp and Marlon Brando? I would have loved if that was one of the last projects he ever did in his life. <laughs> 
So uh, luckily for Mike Judge, Paramount Pictures ended up purchasing Viacom, which is the parent company of MTV. And so there was a total changeover from Warner Brothers to Paramount for the movie deal. And that's when Mike Judge was able to convince the new executives on the project not to do this. Well, because that's the thing. You have to remember, MTV owned Beavis and Butthead. So really, at the end of the day, he was going to have to do what they wanted him to do. He didn't really have much of a choice on the matter. Mm -hmm. So what's great is that this happens or else you would not have been able to convince new people to go a different route with it. So Mike Judge co-writes this film with staff writer Joe Stillman, staff writer from Beavis and Butthead, that is, who would go on to have a very solid career in screenplay writing, after, especially with the films Shrek and Shrek 2. Never heard of it. Check out our Wizard and the Bruiser on Shrek. That was a fun week. Uh, and <laughs> why do you say it with such acid? <laughs> I'm just kidding. It was a lot of fun to learn about Shrek, actually. Uh, and the film was also directed by Mike Judge. Judge, of course, voices our two protagonists, as well as their hippie teacher and the principal. God, that principal is so funny. Oh, 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 like, it's so funny. It's like he just can't be a person. Um, and joining him were notable voice actors Bruce Willis, Demi Moore. Cloris Leachman, and Robert Stack, as well as a notable Texan director, Richard Linklater, all doing voices on the film. Damn. I forgot until the credits came up when I was watching this, and it, I was like, what? This is... I knew it was Robert Stack, obviously, um, which I forgot about, but it was so exciting, and it's very strange he decided that towards the end of his life to do more of this kind of stuff, because he was also in basketball, if you guys right. remember. Oh, I remember. <laughs> Robert, Stack is un- Robert Stack's Unsolved Mysteries, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. baby. Yeah. Yeah. Which is also Mysteries. all on Amazon Prime right now, and I'm going to say, I'm going to oh, have wow. a weird night. I'm wow. definitely going to have one weird night. You're going to have a sex stream about it? I probably, <laughs> but I'm also going to watch Unsolved Mysteries. He's the best. <laughs> Uh, a scene was deleted, however, I will say that, uh, in which Beavis wipes his ass with the Declaration of Independence. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, man, that oh, that dope hallucination sequence. I It is so good. Which we talked about up. on our Rob Zombie episode, I believe, yes. because Rob Zombie animated it. What's fun, yes. though, is that in the desert scene where uh, Beavis and Butthead are hallucinating, you can hear voices in the background. When the soundtrack is played backwards, Beavis and Butthead are heard speaking clearly including phrases such as everybody go to college study hard study hard (laughs) (laughs) of course the soundtrack yet again is just banger for this movie white zombie red hot chili peppers roller coaster oh yeah Um, rancid ozzy osbourne no doubt butthole surfers and acdc what a phenomenal soundtrack Dude, I love Butthole Servers. I did love the Butthole Servers. I love Butthole Servers. They were on many 90s soundtracks, and I love all of their soundtrack songs, pretty much. The film was released at the end of 1996 and got great reviews at the box office. Ladies, I am ready to talk about Daria. Do you have anything else on Beavis and Butthead before before we get a little bit smarter and a little more female? Yes. Um... I'm sorry they go hand in hand. (laughs) I I would recommend if you've never really gone down a Beavis and Butthead hole. (laughs) I said hole. Um, It's very funny. The the movie is really enjoyable still. And I mean, if you go in knowing it's it's supposed to be obviously sexist and um, they're the ones who are getting the brunt of all of the uh, punishment on the show. It's really fun to watch if you want to go through some of it. I forgot about Beavis's like emotional moment 
speech where he just talks about how like they're never gonna get laid yeah, and they're never in the gonna bus score. Full of old people and he's just like, but it's true, we're never gonna. there's another part in it where they're in the room with the girl with the woman they're supposed to quote do which is actually a like kill but they think it's have sex with is why they're there and and just the fact that it might happen they can't they are so infantilely they can't handle it yeah they just start laughing like doing their, their eyes get all huge yeah. and freaking out and just like for a solid minute they're just going like huh, 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 huh. <laughs> <laughs> and so finally just like guys I mean I've definitely weirdly enough have hooked up with people like that before they're like but you're the horniest person alive how come you immediately get all weird and shy oh you don't know what you're doing right. <laughs> okay very right. interesting where we can all relate we're all a little bit of a beavis or mm-hmm. I've never been. I've always been smooth. I've always been suave. Do you look at the like pictures? Rico. Yeah, I'm just like Rico. Uh, <laughs> also, I, in the movie, uh, what is his name? Um, the guy who's essentially the precursor to Hank Hill. He's so, uh, Tom, him, his name's Tom Anderson. Tom, he is so funny. He's in the in first this. episode. I know. I think he's in other episodes, but I know he's definitely the first episode of Beavis and Butthead too. And the second mm-hmm. I heard, because as someone I've seen Hank, I've seen King of the Hill too many times and I heard the voice I was like <gasps> I did the yes. Tim Allen now what in the hell it's so funny he's Bobby? just this like God fearing America loving just per- like good America man I hope that you say this on your King of the Hill episode because I think he's the best television dad to have ever existed I'm putting it out he's there. great he's he's great he, but he's just so gets so screwed over left and right and the cavity searches all throughout. But so but, many uh, cavity but searches. gets the cavity search, and he's just like, did I just score? <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny, dude. I just honestly, dude, it, it, and it's only an hour and 20 minutes long, so maybe that's why like, I appreciate it so much. It was such like, a delight a, to watch. I had so yeah, much fun. Yeah, it's yeah. really fun, really well-paced, really, really funny, and it, I think it really does actually hold up. All right. Well, here we go. Let's get into Daria. Um, ew. Let's not do that. Let's talk about her. <laughs> Whoa. I think you just have too much Beavis and Butthead. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to like wash clean of Beavis and Butthead. Cleanse the slate. So at the time, uh, the, the creator, creative director and senior VP at MTV, uh, we mentioned her before, Abby Turkle, she, she had this to say on uh, uh, about Be- Beavis and Butthead after it got successful. Uh, we created Daria's character because we wanted a smart female who could serve as the foil. And so they put her into the show. David Felton said, Beavis and Butthead were very sexist. Women didn't like the show because all they talked about were boobs. Even Untrue, though the char- by the way. Yeah. Women <laughs> even didn't though the characters the were so naive that they never had sex at all. I don't think they would have known what to do if they had the chance to have sex. So <laughs> she was written in by uh, Harvard alums Glenn Eichler and Susie Lewis who balanced each other out really well as creatives. He was the bookish one. She And I, I think also the curmudgeon one. And she yes. was the streetwise pop culture enthusiast. It's fun um, to read all their interviews, too, because the way they go back and forth is delightful. The, it makes some, hmm. the show makes so much sense with the way that two of their personalities 
go against each other but also flow. Hell also, yeah. also, Mike Judge, by the way, did sign off on Daria and agreed that she needed to be on the show. Like he was into it. Yes. Yes, but he does later on get a little bit butt hurt because of the people that they hired and how they went about it. Absolutely. He so, didn't love Eichler. He he and yes. Eichler were like two very different peas. In but this essentially, Eichler plot. had said basically Daria was the smart person who hung out with Beavis and Butthead to annoy her parents. <laughs> and she was, I mean, she was on the on the show. They obviously called her diarrhea regularly. Yes, yes. But um, they also kind of respected her in certain aspects yeah. as well. She wasn't just there to mock in entirely. In fact, the name Daria Morgendorfer came directly from his real life because Mike Judge recalled a classmate named Daria who he had actually called <gasps> Diarrhea, giving rise to Beavis and Butthead following suit. As for Morgendorfer, that's the maiden name of the mother of MTV writer David Felton. Where is that Daria now? Wow. Right? I, and I wonder if she is a Aware that she was the basis uh, of the character. I bet, because I imagine if you were called diarrhea in school, you have a very distinct memory of it. Uh, yeah, and then hearing that in the show, I feel like I would immediately start having flashbacks. I just demand them to give me money. I'd be like, if you don't want me to sue you, pay me. <laughs> also true. That or the fact that um, her appearance originally... It came about during a production meeting where character designer John Garrett Andrews grabbed a paper plate and made a sketch that would serve the basis for Daria's look. His inspiration? His high school girlfriend. A smart but shy teenage girl with a sarcastic wit named Lindy Reagan. Mm. So, Lindy Reagan, if you're listening, also, you can't do anything about it now, but isn't that kind of fun? It is kind of fun. <laughs> the character was voiced by Tracy Grandstaff. How did she get the gig? Grandstaff said, I was the only female writer on the Beavis staff at the time. There you this go. This goes to show where we're at. <laughs> yes. So I was the default voice for Daria. Janine Garofalo from Ben Stiller's show was a Daria influence for sure, as well as my own personal inner dialogue from junior high and high school in Kalamazoo, Michigan. And Sarah Gilbert from Roseanne, probably more Darlene. than anyone. Darlene. That makes so much oh, yeah. sense. And so they were, real, they were really looking to give a role model and also to get ratings from women, which they definitely do. So this is what Mike Judge had said originally. He said, a couple of the producers told me they were going to possibly spin off Daria, and I thought it might be a good idea. Next thing I knew, they were just doing it. And I wasn't crazy about some of the people they hired. I think they were trying to show that they could do something without me. Yeah, so like Mike Judge really had nothing to do with Daria once it became a show. But no, I would, he had started making King of the Hill, so he just didn't have time. I remember the fall that Daria and the Jenny McCarthy show was coming out on MTV because I Talk was at an it. age. Very different. <laughs> yeah, but it was a time when I was coming of age a little bit from being a child and being so amazed that there were two shows about girls coming on and that meant a lot to me at the time. And it was really that Daria was like, like Beavis and Butthead was a Gen X show and Daria was sort of like the beginning of the millennials, which is where I am. I'm one of the elder millennials in that group. And so I was right. like right in that gap. You did. You took you took the millennials staff from the from the Gen uh, Xer in the yeah. ceremony. I remember that. I remember I, this, yep. you have footage the of that. The toss off. I yes. Did, yeah. Yes. You wore the cloaks and. I'm in fact the, the high queen of millennials. <laughs> and now I'm weirdly turned off. <laughs> uh, that's a great segue, Natalie, because I was just going to say this. Re I didn't realize, like, because I thought, you know, Total Request Live, 
that sort of programming, uh, the reality stuff. I don't stuff know. When was the last out. time I heard TRL said out Whoa. like that? That was I know, great. Right? But, but uh, which I, I want to do an episode on TRL at some Only point. Only dorks but say it all the way. <laughs> to God. Yeah, to me, I know. Right? I'm, such a, I'm such a dork. To, to me, <laughs> that was the changing of the guard from a predominantly male-focused network to, but that's not true. Daria, it was Daria, which is what you were just saying, really was the beginning of MTV setting their sights on a stronger female audience and moving away from this male-driven audience situation. And yet still, Eichler says, the thing that was so great about MTV in those days, and also so terrible, was that anything goes. Nobody was in charge. They had a lot of theories about branding, but zero theories about programming. So this because is there just them adults shoot- there. Yes, yeah. they, this is just them <laughs> shooting in the dark of like, well, we need more girls. Put a Michael, Michael Liam Black had a lot to, of the same to say about MTV at the time from when they were doing the state, where it was just like uh-huh. nobody, nobody was in charge, right? Yeah. And that's why so much fun stuff got on on the sure. air, exactly. And it's why it is fun, but it's got to be very difficult to actually want to move forward in a career. Uh-huh. Like it's, it is, it's such a jumping off point for other people that it made sense of why Mike Judge left yeah. by getting a much better agreement sure. I'm assuming with Fox and King of the Hill yeah they, sure. offer, they offered him an actual paycheck instead yeah. of them to oh, yeah. being like you can do whatever you want here's $12 for the year ooh isn't right. that a lot more money than you had and everyone's going yes yeah it yes. was a lot more I can buy sandwiches this week I love sandwiches <laughs> voice of uh, Daria Tracy Grandstaff said MTV was going through a phase where they were getting a lot of flack for not really representing women on the air outside of spring break shaking them titties yeah, and spring dog. break, yeah, exactly. Spring break wasn't necessarily the best representation. The you guys of remember women. the show, The Grind? Oh my god, yeah, I, always wa- <laughs> I always, I always want to go on you that. Do, hold I want to go on a spring break. <laughs> our American Bandstand. It's our town's Oof. American Bandstand. Yeah, but one you can masturbate to. I actually I did not like The Grind. Every time The Grind, came, I was like, great. I guess I have to find something else to do for an hour. <laughs> it was just people. Da- I don't know. I just didn't enjoy just like watching people dance. I don't know. That just I, it, like in that way, like just like at the club. Like I enjoy, I'll go to see the ballet, but I'm not gonna like just watching someone just like grind up on someone else. All I just kept thinking about (laughs) was how dehydrated them they must be. Oh Oh, yeah, sure. Oh my god, with just rum in their systems. I know, no drugs. Yeah, drugs and alcohol. I mean, maybe it sounds fun. Here's a quote from producer John Garrett Andrews. We did five pilots with female leads. There was one called Sneeze Louise, which was a girl who would sneeze when people were lying. There was another one called Drac World, which uh, was, and I feel bad that this didn't make it to air for your sake, Natalie, which was uh, kind of pre-Twilight vampire movie for (laughs) for young ladies, or vampire TV show. There was one called Missy the Two-Headed Girl, who has two personalities in one body and one called just called cartoon girl we were wow, they're really trying huh <laughs> oh yeah we baby were, we were down to almost no more pilot money after the first four were shot and i said to abby turkle why don't we spin daria off to her own series he was open to it so i called mike judge who said i don't mind as long as i don't have to do anything we had money left for a storyboard shot to a track which was enough to get the point across. It was just a 15 minute long pilot because they had run out of all their pilot money. And in 1995 was when they made it called Sealed with a Kick. And based on that pilot, MTV orders 13 episodes. 
Mm -hmm. uh, Andrew said, Daria tested the best out of the pilots, but MTV didn't like the fact that it tested the strongest with junior high kids. They were maintaining the fiction that their core audience was 18 to 24, but mm -hmm. those people are in or just out of college. They're not watching MTV. They're no. busy actually having a life. They're out there They're getting fucking laid, each other. dude. Yeah. yeah, they're not watching television. I watch MTV in high school. Yeah. I watched MTV in middle school, too. Yeah, it's so right? funny. This was back when MTV like legitimately wanted to be cool and not just make as much money as possible. Also, I'm getting so much of this from a phenomenal oral history that Vice put out, which has so many people involved in the show talking about its making. Hi highly recommend, even though you'll probably read a lot of the same quotes you're going to hear today because it's so comprehensive and so well done. So, yes, they bring in Eichler and Lewis uh, as executive producers Andrew said when they decided to do the spinoff, they offered it to Glenn Eichler, partly because he was a huge fan of My So-Called Life. Oh, my God, guys, we have to make oh episode of My So-Called Life. Oh, oh, yeah. please. He had a feeling for who this character would be if we built her out. Glenn was the polar opposite of Mike Judge, who came from Texas, worked everything out himself, taught himself animation, and studied comedy by watching Letterman. Glenn was a Harvard Lampoon guy. And to be quite honest, Mike wasn't much of a fan of Glenn. So yeah, really some stuff going on there with, well, also, with that. But I, I imagine Tracy that Mike Judge, and this is just me speaking from the hip here, I would assume that he felt a little slighted because of the changing of the times that I don't even necessarily think is his fault is because Beavis and Butthead only had two out of the 44 writers were female mm -hmm. and only one right. female director out of nine. Yeah. So Susie Lewis and Glenn Eichler vowed to hire as many women as possible to work on Daria, which is also another reason why I think it, it, speaks to women so hard. Mm -hmm. Not that you necessarily need... That's another fun quote that I had, had I had read from Glenn Eichler that's like, you don't need to be a woman to write for women. You need to be a good writer. Sure. But they needed this on MTV that they were, try they were trying something brand new. So they put all of their efforts into hiring mostly women. And I imagine that Mike Judge felt a little bit like he was being thrown under the bus of like, see, we're hiring women. Mm. When I don't think he was doing that. It didn't seem like... It was just doing it out of spite. It was or just the way it women. was. There yeah. wasn't women around. Yeah. Grand Staff, though, did say this about uh, uh, Eichler and Daria. Daria really was a 40-year-old band living in Bloomfield, New Jersey. She's Glenn Eichler to the core. But also, you can't forget... Uh, Su Susie Lewis, though, did bring the other elements to the character that you, that you get, and especially a lot of the stuff around happening around the character. She said, I feel like I brought in a lot of hipness to the show because I was closer to the character's ages at the time. I also had seen almost every music video that had ever been on MTV because that was my job at Beavis. Which is hilarious that she, I guess, picked that, picked out the vids and stuff. That will come into play very much so. We are soon about to talk about the music of Daria. Yes. And Susie Lewis had a lot to do with that, which is just so cool. Because mm. essentially what Beavis and Butthead did for metal music is what Daria did for alt music and specifically female grunge bands. Yeah, let's, and, and let's get of, into it. Let's talk about it. Yeah. Dude, and a lot of bands that people hadn't heard of, and the reason why is because Susie Lewis was the one for Beavis and Butthead finding all of the music videos. So she had seen music videos from uh, all across the board. She was trying to do any music except for music that you would hear on like a pop channel, mm -hmm. essentially. 
And Daria's major themes included the very 90s concern of selling out, the subversion of stereotypes, body image, friendship, and identity crises. And Lewis chose tracks by girl-friendly bands that reflected the tone and feeling. Julianna Hatfield, Bikini Kill, and Veruca Salt were sprinkled throughout. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and unfortunately, 99% of the music was removed due to licensing issues when it was released on DVD. Thanks, but government. You also had current tracks that, you know, getting jiggy with it was uh, Will Smith's, uh, you know, anthem, poetic, epic anthem that he put out. Um, that was uh, that was on a Dari episode just weeks after the song was released. Well, they also they had tons of um, characters on the show that were representing the like more mainstream kids, and so you would want the, that kind of music in right. The right. And show. that's why Susie Lewis definitely um, put the music more of what she said. Since so much of me was part of Daria and Jane, I decided they would like the same kind of music that I liked. Who lists says Lewis? Who lists Nine Inch Nails, Bauhaus, and Love and Rockets as some of her favorite bands? Other times songs were used to try and capture the zeitgeist which explains how a song like new radicals you get what you give ended up on the show in the end though lewis was always looking for lyrics that would work perfectly for an episode or for a scene the fact that the music was usually quite good was a nice bonus she handpicked every song for a reason that is in Daria and this is what it's so upsetting because I don't have the DVDs and you can't even listen to all of the music as a part of the episodes but it took eight years after the show ended for the DVDs to come out because they, they were desperately fighting with MTV to try and get the rights to play some of the music. Did they? Did they get the rights? They got m- some of them, but not all of it. Mm-hmm. And they were really trying to hold out to get as much as they possibly could. But then it is, the, watching the episodes now, there's just something missing because they had to overlay it with like generic music that they could get licensing to or come up with on their own. And there, it's just not the same. Are there is yeah. there more music on the DVDs than in, if you stream it? Because yes, okay, I might have to get the DVDs because yes. I watched <laughs> them all on iTunes and there wasn't any. Of no, the music. there's no none of it there. So Susie Lewis was asked if there was a particular musical cue that still resonates with her, and she says it has to be the credit roll music for episode one thirteen, Misery Chick. Just a great <laughs> example of finding the perfect song to the perfect episode. It was Pearl by one of my favorite bands, Love and Rockets. Some of the lyrics were, "This is." no ordinary girl I ain't got no jaded feeling this is no ordinary girl she jokes she stares at the ceiling so I watched that episode and in the credit roll I played the song and it (laughs) does hit it so hard like especially that's such a good fucking episode and she says these lyrics along with the overall feeling of the song seem to fit perfectly with a lot of the tone of Daria and since they were one of my favorite bands in my most favorite episode this stands out as a particular as particularly planning an international trip and want to learn the language of your destination then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning plus the true accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation don't put off learning that language there's no better time than right now to get started for a very limited time listeners can get rosetta stone's lifetime membership for 50 percent off that's 50 percent off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life redeem your 50 percent off at rosettastone.com today 
Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. Moving. We have to talk about the theme song. Absolutely. You're standing on my neck. La la la. Which is so, it's so perfect because it's it's such a 90s, just even that refrain is so 90s. It's like this angry, this like fucking angry, you're standing on my fucking neck, my neck, right? And then, and then this very sarcastic, very whimsical, la la la, la. like that was the 90s. Especially especially because that, that was the era when bands like Babes and Toyland were coming out in more mm-hmm. of the mainstream where it's sort of mocking mm-hmm. the good little girl image yes. by using that sort of sing-songy with the anger. It it, it, yes. was, it resonated with me a lot growing Ooh, up. Yeah. And remains to, to this day, I'm fucking wearing pigtails right now. And I listened <laughs> to Garbage for like two hours yesterday. Oh, no. Uh, yeah. I'm feeling moody. Oh, I've been feeling moody. <laughs> <laughs> Especially watching all this Daria and remembering all of this just like, Ugh, <laughs> that I felt. <laughs> so you're standing on my neck was written and performed by the band Splendora, and it was actually essentially an audition to do the theme. They they uh, had a bit of an end because the cellist in the band was a producer on the show, but they just submitted it. And apparently, uh, Glenn Eichler wrote the line "You're standing on my neck," the, that specific line, which is also, of course, the name of the song. Uh, and yeah, Janet Weigall was the vocalist and guitarist on the song, and she said, there's a certain deadpan quality in the singing of the theme song. There was emotion, but it was very salty, sweet, and sardonic. It was a melding of two styles, because our band already had a bit of that. Uh, and just so good. I, I feel like that song is just perfect. It's great. It's such a perfect song that just it just captures the entire identity of that show and I really think that it was one of the driving forces that kept that show popular because it's just it just speaks to that moment in time so much and it's still really fun to listen to and I don't know if you got the um, your um, quotes from this but Billboard a couple years ago put out a really fun article and interview with the two sisters who were the the people behind Splendora Mm. and yeah it's a really good uh fun look into how they ended up with the show and where they went because they kind of just disappeared after yeah they it it seems they fell apart yeah you you would think because there's no band attached to it that that was maybe like a studio band that was put to make this song but it was an actual band of young girls who made that song because again um they didn't want to pay people man the so. 90s with the way that they incorporated music into things is so different i was just thinking about pete and pete and the, ah, 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 uh-huh. that was like it is summer it is adventure like that is such yeah. a good opening song to another amazing mm-hmm. television show which right. we will be doing that television show. well pete and pete uh, they have a, a show on our network. <laughs> yes, yeah, so that's why we are a thousand percent are going to do it. The Adventures of Danny and Mike on LPN. We should at least get Danny on, you know, to, uh, to I'm sure he'd do the show with us, which would be For hilarious. For sure, I'd be awesome. <laughs> uh, Eichler talked about in terms of the writing of the show, how it was a little bit more complicated than Beavis and Butthead, obviously, because they weren't writing these short little animation bits 
They were they had to figure out how to write half-hour sitcom scripts, essentially, so they had to read a couple screenwriting books and essentially just, like, learn as a staff as they went to figure out how to do this stuff. What's also fun is that apparently the writers got some of their teenage lingo from magazines. Daria writer Nina Bieber told the New York Times that while it was easy for writers in their 30s to relate to the psychology of a disaffected 16-year-old, they sometimes pilfered language from sources they wouldn't normally pay attention to. She says, in the episode I just wrote, which was The Lost Girls, we used the word jiggy, Bieber said. <laughs> and this sounds pathetically white bread and 30-something, but I think I found it on the editorial page of Jane Magazine and thought, huh, why not use that? Whatever that is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Tracy Grandstaff had similar things to say, saying the topicality of it was what I found to be pretty refreshing even at the time. They're talking about corporate sponsorship in public schools when the vending machine pops up or the Jane Magazine takeoff where this hipster 30-something is trying to go into high school and establish trends for all the girls and trying to co-op stuff that young people are doing as their own trend setting. They weren't obvious topics in some cases, but they scratched the surface. They went a little deeper than, let's just make Jane and Daria decide to go to a concert and meet guys, which I think is very true and very... Uh, right on in terms of what made the show special. Absolutely. The writing is so good. And they actually address things that weren't really talked about that much at that point for, for young kids and young teens. Um, the first, I think the first and second season are really good. And then it gets a, it dips a little bit. But then the mm. last season's great. And they really go into like mental health issues. L, LBG, LBG. Oh, my God. <laughs> LG. You're canceled. <laughs> Oh! Oh, God, no! <laughs> cancel, uh, cancel alert! Everyone get, bring the cancel police in. Oh, no! no not the police! LGBTQ issues. Um, like, sex, and then um, Daria, like, actually having, like, a breakdown. Just, like, even with, towards the end, Jody, who's the one, one of the few black characters on the show, she her her uh, story arc gets a little bit broader towards the end, and she talks about how she doesn't like being the only black girl in a sea of white girls, and like having how she's having to deal with that. Well, she breaks the third wall a lot in discussing the fact that she and her boyfriend are the token black characters on the mm. show, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and this is something that I wanted to, to speak to just in general the character of Jody, which was a big step especially for cartoons and the fact that Daria really was one at least for me one of the first cartoons where you could watch the characters evolve over time mm -hmm. the way that Quinn Quinn's relationship with Daria changes the way Daria changes in the way in her relation to not only her parents but also to Jane with everything with that bastard Tom who Ugh, I'll never bleh. like even though I probably would have kissed him but he's still a bastard <laughs> I got, he's him, got by beautiful the way. eyes he did have beautiful eyes she should have just gone after Trent even though I know oh, it would never have worked Trent's so fucking hot still oh yeah he is alright ladies mop it up okay <laughs> let's talk about the voice acting for a little bit of oh, course you're allowed to talk about your masturbation and erections yeah. but we can't yeah I play yeah. ding dong I play ding dong ping pong so yeah, what? well, I play Slap the Taffy when I'm looking at Trent playing Mystical Spiral. <laughs> oh, right. Slap the Taffy, Slap the Taffy, Slap the Taffy. That's what I'm saying. So, yeah, if you hear that, don't come in. I won't. 
I did also before we get into the casting of the show. I had, I read this great article called Nine Times Daria's Six Sad World Predicted Your oh, News Six Sad World so good. Six Sad mm. World is it's like make that spinoff show. I Please. will talk later on because Tracy Ellis Ross is going to be doing the um, reboot of the Jody spinoff mm. of Daria, which I am very excited about. But cool. where's Six Sad World? And I think the reason why they can't do Six Sad World is that it is our existence, especially right now. <laughs> And then, but there's things like they called pizza rat. Are bats sneaking into your neighborhood disguised as cute flying squirrels? Rabbit rodent ripoff tonight on Six Sad World. <laughs> they, uh, the bath salts guy. Brought back from the grave by black magic, but no one taught them to cross at the green. The Jaywalking Dead, next on Six Sad World. <laughs> there's also wow. one that there's also one about the undead deadbeat dads, which I really enjoy. I love it. <laughs> what what amazing way to just slip ridiculous commentary of our society in in just like Quick ten line. second jokes. Yeah. They're just so, so good hey, at it. Read a couple more of them, Jackie. Um, there's the selfie monkey. Can monkeys surf the net and corrupt our kids? Chimpanzee chat rooms next on Six Sad World. <laughs> Meet the avant-garde obstetrician that's turned his cast-offs into artwork. Umbilical cord sculpture next on Six Sad World. It really, those Six Sad Worlds really spoke to me at a young age too where I was seeing a lot of blatant hypocrisy around the authority figures in my life and I felt crazy because it didn't seem like anybody was... See, making comment like do you not see that there's all this like bullshit happening with these quote-unquote authority figures and, and slap really, it on a reality show because at this point in time reality shows weren't doing that mm -mm. just yet mm -mm. yeah but man do they evolve over time baby <laughs> uh all right the voice actors for many of course this was a first ever voiceover gig which totally makes sense because, of course, MTV cutting as many corners as they can. Mm -hmm. They went with non-union voice acting. They so always do. It was a first gig for many. Wendy Hoops, uh, who voiced Jane Lane as well as Helen and Quinn Morgendorfer, was actually a recent NYU graduate who sent a tape to NBC along with a note that showed a desire to do voices for Beavis and Butthead, but also mentioned, hey, you know what would be cool? A, a smarter female-driven version of this show. And so, you know, months later, she gets a phone call about doing this spinoff. And she said, I came in, we talked about several different characters, and I played around with voices for Quinn and Jane and Helen. I created these voices just sitting in a room with her, hearing how she perceived these characters. I have to talk about Wendy Hoops for a second. Um, mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't know if I'm probably saying her name wrong. But Maybe. I, <laughs> I looked, I'm, we, I apologize if I am Wendy. Um, cancel, please, cancel. Put your hands behind your back. We're gonna put a cover in salami. <laughs> that's that's what happens. That's, that's what the cancel police. You're really canceled from the cancel police. <gasps> that's no. a problematic uh, arrest procedure from the cancel police. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> um, she uh, continued on with uh, acting jobs, but she's not done. I've looked at her IMDb at least. She's not done a, a lot of voiceover work. But I was, uh, my mind was shook when I saw that she did all three of those characters. And Mary, if you don't mind, yeah. could you play a little bit, just a couple lines from each of Jane Lane and then Helen and Quinn Morgendorfer? I saw the best minds of my generation destroyed by madness. Wait a minute. My generation has no best minds. What about Christina Aguilera? Oops. Spoke too soon. Oh, Jake, I think something bad is happening. And she's already had one disappointment. Oh, no, I was dreading this day. I know! 
Who knows what she'll have on at the barbecue? Banana clips? <laughs> yeah, it's a big variety. It's that's so a, good. She yeah. fucking killed it. I had you cannot tell that's done by the same person. And right. she she didn't do a lot of voiceover after that, which is really shocking to me because she was she killed it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so then you have Julian Reboleto, who did the voice of Jake Morgendorfer. It was his second audition ever, but he had a mature sounding voice since he was 20. And that's what landed him the role. He also didn't get it at first because he tried. He went in and tried to do a Jimmy Stewart impression. And they very quickly like, uh, let's go come on a completely different direction. And he was like, oh, uh, and then had to fully pivot because, again, He's not really experienced with auditioning because all these people are super green and super like Amazing. have no idea what to do. It's the wild west of programming. But what he did with Jake Morgdorfer is great yeah. and it's super funny. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's so funny to think because that's totally a, an audition gaffe that I could see myself doing. You know what I mean? I'm like, oh, this guy seems like a Jimmy Stewart type. I'm going to just do an impression of Jimmy Stewart, which is like a terrible idea. And instead, Jake Morgendorfer is a manic throughout yeah. the entire show. Oh, yeah, lots he's of a dad yeah. who's just like completely not able to handle being a father. And he's right. just, like hysterical half the time. Right. You also have Mark Thompson. He did the voice of Kevin Thompson, Mr. DiMartino and Mr. O'Neill. He said, Daria was my first voiceover job. There was a posting on the cork board at NYU saying MTV was auditioning for a cartoon about vampires. That was probably that Twilight, pre-Twilight show. Drac, whatever it was. Draco women or something. I'd have to go back and look it up. Drac World. Drac World. They had a phone number and you literally were supposed to audition on a voicemail. That show didn't go into production, but they said, hey, why don't you also audition for this too? And that's where we got to that. And he can't, those are great characters, all of them. Absolutely. Early on, they felt Daria's voice wasn't deadpan enough and actually got Tracy a vocal coach that normally works with Broadway actors. Grandstaff said, uh, Tracy Grandstaff said, they, they'd have me do 10 takes in a row just to get it a little flatter, a little more even, a little more monotone. And Andrews said, the producer, even the acting coach was like, what are we trying to do? Make it sound like she's on Quaaludes? It's crazy <laughs> because even when she's upset, She's still deadpan. That is, it is a, it is very difficult to do that. And listening to just Daria's voice, like Grandstaff's voice for it, you have to be like, she must have had to just completely relax uh, her face. Uh, but yeah. also having to pronounce everything mm-hmm. properly. I can't even imagine how difficult and that she, was to do. She did express emotions through it too. Like you mm-hmm. said, like she isn't just always apathetic. She does get upset. She does get. Um, you know, overwhelmed and stuff. And it's she- the same with Jane's voice and the fact that they were very similar, but also the way that they could characterize their voice changes so differently that even though both of them were fairly monotone, you can hear from another room which character is Definitely. Uh-huh. And, he, and also, I always appreciated the fact that they allowed Jane to be the horny one. Because oh, yeah. just because you are a wallflower doesn't mean you'll still lay people that you don't want to talk about. I always felt like I was a... a- a combination of Jane and Daria because I was super mm-hmm. awkward like Daria but definitely boy crazy as fuck oh yeah um, and not as smart as Daria probably <laughs> I've been doing this like fantasy cast list because I'm just obsessed with the idea of like w- doing like a live action version of this like what how fun that would be and I've had the hardest time trying to find somebody that I like that would be cast as Daria because they don't really put w- girls and women like that in parts 
like the closest one that they have in modern history is always they always compare to Aubrey, Aubrey Plaza. But uh-huh. she's just such a unique character, and there's not a lot of people. Although, did you watch the College Humor trailer? That yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think that Aubrey Plaza would be the perfect Aria. I know she's too old now. Now she's too. Oh yeah, but unless they do a grown-up version, which is like how many things that I looked up, and everyone's like, "Don't you want to see what Dario would look like now?" I don't know why this is such a huge thing. If you're going to make the um, spinoff show, make the spinoff show. But I don't want to just stare at many articles about what she would look like now. I get it. I get it. She would live in Hell's Kitchen. I understand. <laughs> Even though I don't have Daria, at least listen. Okay, okay Jane, Zendaya. Yeah, Zendaya. Okay, Zendaya. Jane. Yeah. I uh, did I say that. it wrong? Yes, but that's okay. Oops. Oh God! Cancelate! Salami! 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 Throw her in the milk pool. And the only other one, milk. The only other one I'll say is Trent Bill Skarsgård. Ah, I could. Yeah. I could see, see that. Okay, yeah. go go watch the movie Villains and right. then come back. Okay. Okay. He's I fucking think... perfect for Trent. All right. <laughs> I mean, I do love Trent, and I think that we would be remiss. We must speak to Mystic Spiral, which is Trent's band. As someone that was, I was so obsessed with Trent. He was exactly what I wanted. Daria co-creator Susie Lewis told Nerdist that when she was young, she developed lots of crushes on guys in bands. She said a lot of them were really hot on stage, but when you talk to them, it was completely different, and it was such a bummer. So Daria's other co-creator, Glenn Eichler, took that concept and ran with it, adding in some pop culture touchstones, particularly Jordan Catalano, the brooding crush object. Trent is way cooler than fucking Jordan. The brooding crush object played by Jared Leto on the 1994-95 cult series with so-called life. And he says, he was his real dream boat, right? But whenever he talked, he was kind of a moron. (laughs) Rounding out the recipe, a first name taken from Trent Reznor of Nine Inch Nails and the Mm. appearance of Dave Navarro, guitarist for Jane's Addiction, and the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Mm. So Mystic Mm. Spiral is obviously, it's Trent's band. And Eichler says he has a very vague memory of performing bass on the Mystic Spiral song Freakin' Friends due to budgetary constraints. Freakin' Friends <laughs> which is a, good is a song. great song. Daria also had a crush on Trent, which helped shape the music of Mystic Spiral. He says, having a crush on Trent was something she could not control. She knew it was silly, but she couldn't help herself. After all, he wasn't the brightest bulb, so what would they ever talk about? I... So his songs and his lyrics had to be even more ridiculous with no depth or intellect to them. So while Lewis handled music selection for the show, it was Eichler who shouldered the load as Mystic Spiral's lyricist. If we were going to include an excerpt of a Spiral song, which was usually just one or two verses, I like to write the lyrics myself just because it was fun. So this is Eichler writing just bullshit lyrics to a ridiculous band. Umbridge! I put down my Umbridge card! Oh no! (laughs) I don't think Trent is an idiot. There are idiot characters on that show, but it actually, he he draws out Daria because he's able to like, when she's spitting out her, her sarcasms, he understands what she's saying and kind of can converse with her in that. And she's not used to people reacting to her sarcasm with anything but like, Durr! and he actually allows her to kind of come out of her shell a little bit. I don't think he's a, a, that stupid. I think he's a burnout and he's lazy and that's different. Kind of like Skater Boy and Clueless. Um, yeah. Who? No, he's actually very stupid. The guy. No, no he, he's just stoned. Yeah, he just like. No, remember because he gets clean and he still doesn't. Know yeah, and he's still. Well, you know, he's cute though. But he's nice. He's helping the, the less fortunate. He's a nice so, guy. So the animation had a rough start until they got rough draft involved. For the first two seasons, sketches would be drawn, which would be painted in, then put under a camera and shot on film. 
And after that, they would cut it on an ancient editing machines with tape and stickers like they did in the old days. And then they would send it out to Rough Draft Studios and Seal to fill in the gaps with the animation. Rough Draft Studios, by the way, uh, Jake and I talk about that on Wizard of the Bruiser in our Ren and Stimpy show episode because Rough Draft Studios was founded in a garage in Van Nuys, Los Angeles, and ended up uh, working on the Ren and Stimpy show. Nikki, who, one of the co-founders, uh, approached creator John Kirk Falusi, Falusi of uh, Ren and Stimpy show and outsourced, uh, said, hey, why don't we outsource the animation to Korea? And that is when Nikki went and founded Rough Draft Korea, which would later produce animation for shows such as The Simpsons and Beavis and Butthead, among many others. Supervising director Karen Disher said, if you look back at the first two seasons, you can see dirt flickering on the cells or the color levels shifting. It looks awful because of the te- technology back then or lack there. I like the look of it. Me yeah. too. And also well, Karen Disher rough. says, I guess it's flatness by way of stylistic choice, but also uh, ability because she definitely was going into territory that she was not used to because originally she was just a 24-year-old layout artist for Beavis and Butthead and then got wow. bumped up to an animator and she's Man. just kind Kind of uh, shooting from the hip, but, but you know, <laughs> I think it's why it appeals to young girls. Is like it looks like a drawing you would put in your folder of what you wanted to look like. Like oh it was right. something God. that you the could style. connect to the style, the the colors, the layout. Like mm-hmm. it really appeals to a young like a tween. I've definitely tried to dress like Daria and um, I don't pull it off properly. <laughs> I will. That's a nice way of saying it. <laughs> The show aired on Monday nights at 10.30, starting in March of 1997, uh, and got some pretty solid reviews. New York Times, a New York Times critic wrote, As far as MTV and Beavis and Budhead are concerned, Daria is an indispensable blast of fresh air. Eichler said, When the show first aired in the first year, there, was a lot of ra- there were a lot of rabid fans. The minute Daria showed any vulnerability, some people declared that she jumped the shark. Tracy Grandstaff said, Toward the end, Daria started to see through Trent, which was heartbreaking. She got over the crush. Trent was cool, but not cool enough for her. It's because she grew, and that's, yeah. again, the, another another reason why I'm obsessed with Daria is the transition of being of going from being a freshman in high school to, to being a senior. A senior. Yeah. And it's also the first show that I had ever seen with Is It Fall Yet and Is It College Yet that shows what happens in between the school years. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Because... I feel like so many shows that surround themselves in a school year very rarely show the summer time and and just kind of pick back up where the where the last year ended, which never happens. That's where all the fucking drama starts. Right, because you take over away the summer. you take away the structure of school, and then it's sort of like a no man's land or a you know right. open waters. Yeah, right. most shows wouldn't want to deal with that. That's why I love is is if all you Daria gets sent to be a counselor at the it's okay to cry corral <laughs> and it's. It's amazing, and it's so they did these two TV movies. Is it fall yet? Was before her senior year, and is it college yet? Was after her senior year. Mm-hmm. So, and then is it college yet? Was the last episode. That's where it ends. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's such a great. I mean, I know that there's like the the forward moving ones. I mean, of the OG Daria, this is where it ends. Yeah, there's also the specials Daria behind the scenes, which is a making right. of, and a look back in and or, or and I love the title this look back in annoyance. A look back highlight show. And the finale aired in January of 2002. I think it, it was really interesting it, in Is It Fall Yet? They put in a side story of Jane being hit on by a girl at her art camp because 
the lesbianism was still really not discussed that much at the time. And if mm-hmm. it was, it was sort of usually a cliche version of what they thought a lesbian was, which was like basically right. somebody who looked like a trucker. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but I think that um, them addressing sexuality in that way and making this bisexual woman very flawed and making it almost just like a normal relationship issue where Jane is kind of being almost coerced into sex and she's like, am I gay? I'm not sure. Kind of trying to work through those feelings. That's not something that ever happened at that point in time. Yeah. No, and I, I didn't get to finish it earlier when I was discussing with Jody where she was outspoken with the fact that she was the token mm-hmm. black girl on the show and that she also came at Daria in communication to have the discussion of you are always complaining about how your life is so hard and everything. She's like, you'll never understand mm-hmm. what I go through. You'll never understand that even when I'm being my best, I'm still not good enough, mm-hmm. which is something that what like all of these boundaries that were definitely, I mean, I know it's still an issue to this day, but she was trying so desperately to be the best at everything. And yet still, she's going to have so many more hardships than Daria is ever going to have. And and in Is It College Yet, the the very last part of Daria, um, Jody has a whole arc where she desperately wants to go to an all-black college. She doesn't want to be a part of, she doesn't want to be the token black girl. She wants to be around other people that maybe she can associate or um, connect with more. And her father wants her to go to a a very prestigious, mostly white college so that she can have a foot in the door. And he's looking out for her best interests in certain ways, but she doesn't want to do that. She doesn't want to go down that path. And she feels pressure from her parents to go down this, again, very white road when she doesn't really want to. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's really, I think that was really cool um, to put in there, even though she's still a side character, of course. But right. yeah, also uh, I think we're at the point where we can share a few notable episodes. I'll start. I think a a perfect representation of the show, uh, the one I would probably recommend to even start with, is Arts and Crass for me. The one so where good. they do the art. They they're kind of forced into this art competition to do a poster about school life, and they do a anti bulimia ad essentially, or like it's it's. You know, a beautiful girl staring in the mirror with a little poem at the bottom about how she goes and throws up every night uh, to maintain her appearance. And the principal and everybody, they force, they they change it against their will. And what I love, too, I think my favorite sentiment of it is just like, what you're doing is wrong and terrible and you're, you're a bad person, but whatever, I don't even care. But just take it out of the, you know, it's just like, just take it out of the archive. Take our names off of it. Showing hypocrisy of authority figures. While at the same time giving as the least amount of a a shit as humanly possible is the other part, though. Because they're just like, whatever, what you're doing is dumb and wrong, but just take our names off of it and keep the stupid thing. And they're like, (laughs) no, you have to put your name on it. And how, like, Daria's mother goes to bat for them. But the whole time they're like, whatever, but also you're wrong. (laughs) Right, (laughs) yeah. so funny. Uh, Yeah, do you guys have any uh, episodes? Episodes in particular you want to highlight? I mean, the invitation is to, I think it's all, it's only like the second or the third episode, but the way that they introduce all the characters at, I, what I, I think I also, what I know that I also love specifically about that episode, the invitation, when um, Brittany invite, like they, Daria gets invited to the par- high school party that everyone's going to. She brings Jane with her. Jane ends up hooking up with some dude in like the bathroom. But what I liked about, and what I will always love about the show is that it never had the like 
I think I, I always think of Clueless as well, where there are the popular people and there's all the different factions of high school experience. And I think at the time, there was so much in media that was showing that like that popular people were all bullies and everyone else like that none of the groups in high school ever communicated with each other they were always at odds and yes there are many cliques in high school but i feel like it was more that they just ignored each other rather than like actually bothering their existence with acknowledging each other's presence and i think that they did a really great job of opening that up in the invitation where she invites her because she's there and you know it's like it's a new kid whatever and it's not like a you invited the weirdos to the party that uh -huh. no one gave a fuck everyone's getting hammered what does <laughs> it matter I had a different experience in high school than that, but um, <laughs> I totally get what you're saying, and I agree with you that it's cool. They I'm not that. saying that all popular people weren't bullies. I'm saying what I'm saying is all popular people weren't bullies. There are some, yeah, a thousand percent, but there's also some druggies that are bullies. I, there's also the, the people of other cliques that are oh, absolutely, bullies. oh right. for sure, hundred percent. I was gonna say I um I really liked that they did a lot of fantasy episodes and a lot of mm. bottle episodes that were sort of just contained within maybe Daria's mind because uh, I think at that age you are kind of role playing a lot trying to understand the world trying to understand yourself mm. trying to be like all these confusing things are happening and so there's a lot of episodes that take place in different time periods or just like have these weird fantasy elements to them and it really is cool and fun and spoke to me a lot at that age hell yeah like the daria the musical episode yeah. which <laughs> in the thousand years i never would have seen coming <laughs> yeah. yeah i know so weird but they lead so in and it's great yeah, yeah so yeah. great uh all right well i i don't have anything else on Daria or Beavis and Butthead if or if you guys have anything else I just think what contrasting shows what a brother sister ridiculously contrasting set of shows and also uh, absolutely the story of the changing of the guard from a, uh, a male driven network to a female driven network in terms of audience and everything after this we've got all of the, the now I mean MTV is is a network for young girls for really in a very I mean, negative way a lot of the time considering yeah. teen mom is uh one of their most popular yeah shows. for sure well, and because right yeah. after daria ends the mtv animation kind of implodes reality yep. tv just took over MTV yep. because yeah. it's very cheap to make it's just so much cheaper animation is very expensive so the networks came in Changing of the guard happened in that sense as well. And yeah, they were just like realities where it's at. And, and it just shows the absolute worst of humanity most of the time. You, you said there is a spinoff uh, on, uh, in the works right now? There, it was announced last year, and hopefully it still is. But a but it's Tracy Ellis Ross is going to be not only the executive producer but also the voice of Jody, and it's going to be following her journey after. Is it fall? Is it college yet? After she goes to the historically black college and follows her journey in in changing from just being the token black person in a very white town to learning what it is to be in a society of all black people in her college. I hope hope that happens. That sounds awesome. Yeah, I dude. So. I want to watch the fuck out of it. It's still supposed to be animated, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. Great. 
well, there you have it. Thank you so much for joining us for our Beavis and Butthead and Daria episode. Packed a lot in on this one, and Woo. we greatly appreciate you uh, listening to Pop History. Check us out on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash page seven podcast. You can also check me out. I stream with Jackie every Friday at 6 p.m. Uh, on my Twitch channel, 6 p.m. ET. That is twitch.tv forward slash Holdenators Ho. What y'all got to say about it, ladies? Um, I, I apologize for getting so excited about this and <laughs> shouting through How this entire dare episode. You? How dare you uh, be everyone's excited? Everyone's upset. How dare uh, you be excited <laughs> during the Dari episode? As a, typical, <laughs> as a typical woman, I am apologizing for my behavior. No. Um, Probably, uh, 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 oh, cancel, uh, please. Uh, you're canceled from canceling. Uh, Throw her at the hot dog festival. Oh my god, yes, please. What? <laughs> I, I want to be canceled. To the hot dog <laughs> uh, I wanted to say, uh, let everybody know that we are actually going to put out an episode of Trollville every week um, oh, cool. starting this week. And yeah. you'll find it on the last podcast on the left, YouTube, which is. It's a fun, fun little web series that Henry and I made along with our friend Sina Gaznavi. Awesome. And, yeah, and then you can find us at page 7LPN on TikTok and, and Instagram, and me at the Natty Jean. Jackie. Hell yeah, and I'm Jackie Zabrowski. You can find me on Instagram at Jack That Worm. We love you guys so much. Thank you for joining us this week, and we will see you next week. Mini kisses. Go watch Daria. It's on Hulu. La 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 la. la, la. <laughs> This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com.